I'm really, it is, it is a very interesting country. So I'm walking along, and they have models in the window all over. Trains, cars, little boats, everything else. And in the middle of it, of course, is a great big display of, of, of model airplanes. And guess what airplane was right there in the middle, the biggest one. And when I went in to talk to the lady behind the counter, I said, Madam, that model you have out there in the window, the one that's, that's, uh, that's, that's marked uh, 8, eight, uh, eight uh, marks there, 825, uh, the big one there with the OD color, uh, is, is, uh, does that sell very well? Oh, my, that one is the biggest seller we have here. That one sells more than all the others. Well, the model that I'm talking about was a little fat, big, fat, round, little round, big, fat, covered with OD paint, stars, stripes, bars, one thing or another, of a B-17 oil. I don't know whether you know anything about what the B-17s did over Munich one dark night late in World War II. <laughs> Think of the things you don't know about right now. <laughs> oh, boy. boy. Think of the things you don't want to know about. Think of the things you suspect are there and that you'd better leave alone before they bite you. Think of the things... A friend of mine, uh, in fact, Paul Krasner, has invented a new phrase, which I think is great. Selective deafness. And uh, he calls selective deafness guys who don't listen to the stuff that bothers their theories. They automatically turn that off. I also... I would like to submit to Paul another phrase, too, that is uh, allied to that. That's a selective conscience. You know, that's also very good. Where where you are very, very bugged. Your conscience is really bugged by what other guys do to other people. Rotten stuff, you know. And the stuff you do, well, that's just the way it is. You know, after all, I'm, ah, I'm a swinger. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Selective uh, conscience is uh, kind of uh, nice, too. Uh, I, uh, I like that. Uh, and, of course, then there are a lot of other things. How long has it been since you've sold out? Oh, well, you know, one of my friends, the minute he sold out, you see, I'll never forget when he sold out, he, he, he did these great satires on Time magazine and all that, you know, he's great for that. Well, the next thing you know, Time calls him up, and he's going to write and do things for Time, you know, the Loose Foundation or whatever that thing is over there on 6th Avenue, a big building that says Life on it. That's a very interesting building. I like it. It's a big glass building. It looks like a gigantic mausoleum, and it says Life on it. It looks like an enormous deep freeze. It's very cold and has his life on it, and he went over to work over there, and he was going to write for them, you see, or do things for them for various things. And I said, why is that? He said, well, I believe in the theory of subverting from within. And I said, but Charlie, don't you know that subversion works both ways? I mean, while you're subverting them, they're subverting you. And where does it stop? I mean, which point, you know? <laughs> he said, well, uh, well, I never thought of it that way, but I'm stronger. Well, I looked at that 7,000-story building over there made out of stainless steel, and my friend is small and thin and has trouble with uh, losing hair and stuff, and his knees are bad, and I, I, I was inclined to wonder, you know, inclined to wonder. Oh, speaking of that, think of the things you don't know. I'm sitting here, and I hear this radio show, and they're talking about dogs. I don't know anything about dogs, and they keep using... I can't remember what the word was. They keep using this word, uh, very interesting word, describing female dogs. Right on the tip of my tongue, starts with a B. Uh, it was an FM show, of course. They say those things. I, I, I don't, I don't remember now what it was. It was a female dog started with a B. Gee, I can't remember. I, I knew some girls. I remember one time. Well, that, uh, uh, well, you know, I don't want to bring personalities into it, but uh, it started with a B. Now, immediately, the, the thought came to my mind. 
what do they call, I mean, if you're a dog lover, what do they call the son of one of those dogs? Is it a son of... What is the word? Anybody out there remember the word? I, I, it's so difficult to remember things sometimes. You know, life gets all confused and, and uh, people keep pushing and it's hard to know just what to believe at one time or another, you know? It's with my selective deafness and my selective <laughs> conscience Everything's working. I, I, I really do believe I, I like Ike. And, and uh, it's hard to know which way to turn, you know. We'll bury him with Barry. Goldwater, that is. And, and it's... My uh, George, I think they ought to do away with the income taxes and get dealt with Russia. That's what I think. All of it, all together. Let's all together now sing. Come on, gang. How many of you want to sing the stars and stripes forever? How many of you want to join in on the great chorus? All together now. Bring it all in. Let's go, gang. Let's not stop here. Oh, that's great. Bring it up. Bring it up. I can almost hear it. all kinds of things. Have, have you ever had the feeling that the mind is a giant tape recorder with a built-in eraser? And uh, it only works. You see, the eraser only works uh, selectively. You erase the stuff that you don't want, <laughs> and uh, it just works like that. It's a self-editing videotape, really, in a sense, where... where uh, have, you ever, have you ever known a guy who wrote an autobiography? Oh, boy. This friend of mine wrote his autobiography, became very famous for it, and I read it, but I happen to know about his life, and he left a lot of stuff out. That was the good stuff. And I asked him about that, and he looked at me, and he says, well, I don't think that stuff is really very pertinent. <laughs> oh, boy, I'll say. <laughs> That's right. Uh, how much of your life, now that we're on that subject, uh, I'd like to ask a rhetorical question out here. How much of your life do you believe is pertinent? Everything is significant and pertinent, right? Well, then you're one of the very few. We'll ask that question again now in another way. When, friend, do you think that life is going to begin for you? Yeah, Wednesday? Or do you think it's going to begin next year when the rascals are routed out of the city hall and the good guys get in? Or, 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 <laughs> or do you think... You know, these are just little rhetorical questions that we, we never tire of asking. I, I would like, those of you out there, uh, how many Holden Caulfields are listening tonight? Please raise your hands. Uh, please leave the room, will you, all of you? Uh, how, many, how many of you out there are infallible phony spotters, can spot a phony from a million miles away? 
Right, I can tell that. Every, I've noticed one very interesting thing. Everybody below the age of 19 is an infallible phony spotter. <laughs> Aren't they, though? It's funny how, how few of them spot themselves. It's interesting. All the phonies are those other guys there. Those, you know, the rotten ones that get on the football team. And, you know, that kind of stuff. Phonies. And, uh, you know, those guys that get 117 points out of possible 100 in a physics. Phonies. phonies. I could do that kind of stuff. What are you talking about, Mac? A phony. He's just, what is he doing it for? Huh? Just sitting around. I know what he's doing it for. He's working a deal. Phonies. How many phonies are out there with us tonight? Raise your hands. That's one of the beautiful things about radio. Nobody can see you. That's right. It's even better than a book, isn't it? Raise your hands, all of you phonies out there. Now, all of you phony spotters, raise your hands. No hands? What's the matter here? Now, wait a minute. Now, oh, oh, wait a minute. You raise your hand twice, Mac. There's the truthful man in the crowd. And, uh, we <laughs> well, all right. We might as well get going here. You see, one of the troubles with radio, uh, we began last night, and we didn't ever get to it, you know, actually. Didn't ever not actually get to it. Not. Uh, one of the troubles with radio is, as any good performer can tell you, uh, a performer must have a frame. He must be framed and must be official before the people are aware that he is official. Oh, that's true. If, for example, they were to do, uh, let's say, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, back of Fred's garage, and uh, charge you two pins to see it, that's exactly what you would value it at. That's the truth. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. I'm sorry. Oh, everyone says, oh, no, I'd see true quality immediately. Bunkaroonie. That's not true. Believe me, you have gone in to see more junk, have gone in through golden doorways, through great glass porticos, with the sounding trumpets being played off stage, with enormous purple curtains rising, with the rustling of innumerable programs. You've sat down there, and your old hips have spread out. Your old mind has sort of floated out among the chandeliers, and you came out thinking you saw something fantastic. And the trumpets blew, and the people hollered, and the seals clapped, and you paid nine seventy four a seat with taxes included, and you were sitting 17 rows away from the water cooler, and that's what made it official. <laughs> all right, all it, all it, all it, all it, all it. Now, one of the troubles with radio is you get it free. And it's a slave medium. Oh, yes. Do you think you get it, or you say you get you, uh, the commercials? No, you don't pay for those. Not a bit of it. And in fact, what even bothers you is that I don't even have them. And and so you don't, you, you can't for one minute tell me that you pay. Nowhere down the line. You can say, well, you pay because you turn it on. That's a great thing you do there. Turn it on. You sit and listen. That's a great thing you do there. You give me your time. Bunk. Give me your time. The pig's ear, your time you give. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll do it. Don't. All right, cut it out now. I don't need that now. Uh, speaking of the pig's ear, this is WORAM at FM New York. And uh, we'll be here for a while until Mr. Leader listens some night. But uh, while we're <laughs> talking about the problems of radio, you know, it, it always comes as a great shock to people to find that people on the radio, for example, get paid. Stones. I think it's kind of a hobby. You come in here and do this thing, and uh, you know it, it, it never seems to occur to them that Mort Saul gets five thousand dollars for twenty lousy minutes 
the same 20 minutes he's been telling for two years, you know, <laughs> and they want that. But uh, we're here, you know, and uh, it's radio, and uh, you think that you've got it by the thing. Well, you haven't got it by the thing, Dad. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> not quite what you think. Uh, we're here, and uh, we're in business. Now, what we need, you see, this uh, a very interesting thing happened when television first came on, that, that the TV people uh, slowly began to realize that the frame was missing. You know, a guy sitting in his home, he doesn't know it's funny unless he's got a drink in his hand and he's paid $9 cover charge. And the guy comes out wearing a funny sweater, you know, and he knows it's funny. There's a big sign outside of the, of the club. It says, comedian tonight, very famous, hot shot, funny comedian. And uh, he knows he's a comedian then because the MC then gets up um, in front, you know, on the stage, and he says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, here's a man that you all been waiting for, the man that's been standing there in the back room, warming up, getting ready to tell you all those funny jokes. It's old Joey Hokey. Here he comes. Let's give Joey a big hand. Let's give old Joey a big whoopie hand. Let's go now. Come on. Whoop it up, folks. And then the pan goes. Rock it da da Rock it da da Rock it da da And then there's a slight pause, and this little guy comes out wearing a baggy suit, and he says, Hello, folks. And you bust yourself up just roaring over it, you know. You're, you're set up. Set up at the other alley, Dad. It's a duck pin game all the way down the line. Well, now, uh, the trouble with radio is that we don't do that. You know. This guy just comes on. And uh, that throws you, you know. You don't have a drink in your hand. There are no ice cubes tickling your pinkies. You don't have this big fat chick next to you. You know, and uh, wearing the gold lame dress. You don't have this little guy coming out, the MC. You know, the MC says, now, no, no, folks, in just a few minutes, we're going to have that great singer of fine old songs. And <laughs> you don't have any of those things. In short, you're not set up. Uh, it's uh, it's funny how uh, how this works. It certainly works in, in the theater. You know? uh, after all, why do you think, when you go into the theater, that they have that gigantic red velvet curtain? Believe me, that ain't a Venetian blind. And you know it. When a gigantic red velvet curtain 17 feet high and 400 feet across goes up, there's going to be something there, you know? And, and you're ready. You're, it's all setting you up for it. And that business of dimming the lights. Now, if, if I were somehow able to have a deal with Con Ed here, you see, so that exactly 11, 15, 40, just as my theme is fading down, all of your lights dim and went out, You'd be set up, man. You would be set up. There would be a brief moment, a pregnant pause, and out would come that sad, bewailing note, the note of all mankind, crying aloud for all of us to get down on our knees and love one another, and to laugh together, to enjoy together, yes, and to understand together, and to have insight together, and we'll all cry along with Jerry Page, all together now. Hey, George, that would be one. That would be great. And, and so the guys in television learn very early in the game, especially the guys who are doing comics, that hardly anybody knows anything. And, uh... <laughs> right, that's right. Uh, see, now, now, you keep that, and I'll show you what I mean. Now, now, watch it. Hold it. Hold it there. Now, watch it. I'll tell you the same thing. Now, now, now watch it. Just keep it there. Now, we'll set it up. I'll show you how it works now. See, now, what if I were to say to you, uh... I said, uh, gee, I wonder what it, what it is... What is it that they call a female dog? I don't know right there. Uh, 
No, wait, no, 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 you broke it up. See? No, no you got to watch my hand. I'll give it to you. I'll do it again. I wonder what it is. No, skip on back, back past the, the horns there, see? And we'll set that up and we'll show them how it works, see? Just skip on past the horns, see? Get into all those people yawking. Okay? All right, now, here's what happens. Now, I'll show you how it's set up. Gee, I uh, see this little man comes out and he looks at you. And the band is going... Hi, folks. <laughs> Gee, uh, you know, looking uh, looking out here uh, at all of your faces, I, I'm reminded of something. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, gee, what is it that they... Uh, gee, there's a lot of pretty ladies here tonight. I'm very pleased to be with you. Uh, what is it that they call female dogs? Gee, uh, what is it that they call female dogs? <laughs> 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 well, you see, you're informed then that it's funny, and all of a sudden you find yourself yucking along with it, insanely, for no good reason, except that the guy next to you has fallen on the floor and has hit his head on the overshoes down there and is groveling in the gum wrappers. Well, uh, this is all part of the setup. All very important. And very early in the, the game in television, they found out that hardly anybody knew what was funny. Oh, yes. We have a very humorless nation. Are you aware of that? Very, very humorless nation. And so the, the television comics knew that they could not survive unless they had, running along behind them, a thing that went like this. About every 15 seconds, a horn keeps getting in there. About every 15 seconds... <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Well, you were ready. You were, you were set up because because it was a sign that kept telling you it's funny, and you felt that very, you know that little vague funny thing that you have down there when somebody tells a joke. It's okay, laugh, Fred. It's all right. Go ahead. Let's go over to the other pastor now. It's. Uh, Come on, let's go. I play... Uh, here, I'll tell you. Who wants to be lead cow? Huh? Who's got a bell around his neck? We'll all follow. Well, uh, it's very important. You know, we are a herd animal. We are like cows. We are, literally, uh, the... the uh, you know, zoologically, we're considered a herd animal. Are you aware of that? Just like cows? Well, of course. What do you think New York is? Seriously. We are herd animals that have aspirations of themselves not being which, of course, is sheer sophistry. I mean, it's just it's like one cow in the middle of a gigantic bunch of cows, and they're all chewing their cuds, and one cow is the Lenny Bruce cow, you see, and another cow is the Mort Saul cow, and another one is the, is the Jules Pfeiffer cow, and because they chew their cud from right to left instead of from left to right, they feel that they have discovered the secret, you know? It's... <laughs> jokey! I made a jokey! Uh, the crowd was a little slow in coming in there, but that's all right there. Slow crowd. Slow crowd tonight. Very slow. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem uh, to know whether you are... Of course, uh, the difficulty... Now, I'm using the cow generically. It's the cattle. I'm, I'm not sure that the cows have that problem, that problem that you find along Lexington Avenue and along uh, Greenwich Avenue and those other places, but... Well, you know, the pink sweaters and all that stuff. I, I, there's a lot of cows. I'll tell you, it's terrible. What's going on? Is anyone out there? Raise your hands, all of you. Oh, George, you are, aren't you, out there? <laughs> God, they're there. Hi. Yeah, well, now, now I want to show you uh, the difference here uh, with the setting it up. Have you noticed that when a television show starts out, like, say, oh, The Tonight Show or Johnny Carson's or Jack Parr or something, 
You don't, he doesn't come right on the screen, you know. Oh, no. There's a lot of, oh, there's a lot of credits that go on before that. Very official. Lighting by, lighting by, direction by, your announcer is Herman Wolf, and now continuity by, camera work by, orchestra by Skitch, Big Newton, and it goes on for about 20 minutes, and then Hugh comes down and says, and now here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the man that all of you have been waiting for, the man that all of us live and die for, the man who's on the top of every every thinking American today, the man who is saying it for all of us. Another pregnant pause. The curtain parts, and all he comes. Well, I mean, I mean, let me tell you, if you arrived at your office that way, Dad, it wouldn't be long. You'd be out of that mail room quick. Let me tell you, they'd have you up in that lead-lined office up there where the radioactive people work. I'm serious. I mean, uh, after all, you know. <laughs> no, this is called the setup. It's the setup. And, of course, radio does not have that. Oh, once in a while, a newscaster will say, uh, stay tuned for the Charlie Brown... No, the Gene Shepherd Show. Uh, yes, that's the... The Gene Shepherd Show comes out in just a moment, the, the interesting program he does. <laughs> well, now, now uh, it is... The Jack Parr Show has never been described as the interesting Jack Parr Show. That's called the undercut setup. Uh, that's like saying, stay tuned for this thing that comes on, this drag. It's awful thing here. It's a real bomb, you know. But it's all right. It's on the schedule. And it's free. But, uh, you know, this business of setting it up now is very important. Very important because you have to set it up. You have to be set up yourself. In short, you have to set yourself up. You, you know that in the theater, it is a well-known problem of allowing the man to applaud at the end of an act, you have to have two or three lines in there, no, seriously, that allow him to applaud. Now, most people going to the theater do not know this. They do not know why suddenly they feel the desire to go, hey! And the entrance of the star, when, say, Jerry Page comes on after about the first ten minutes of the jabber is going on, you know, the maid is on the phone explaining that the Lord is coming home, and yes, the young master is coming home from school, you know, the one who got caught stealing the sleds, yes, 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 and all the exposition goes on and on. Nobody applauds that, you see. It goes on and on. And then all of a sudden, two or three minor characters come in, and then someone says, you hear, you hear... Like that, you see, and they don't—they never answer the door right away. You see, this is the setup. Someone says, "I hear the door." Someone's at the door. Of course, everybody's heard it. You heard it out on Forty Sixth Street, see? Oh no, no, really? I don't—I didn't hear anything. I wonder who it can be. Gee, I don't know. I wonder who it is. Who would be coming at this hour? I wonder if it could be Lord Neville Chamberlain, played by Charles Boyer. I wonder. I shall go and open the door. All right, Fred, you open the door. Then they all stand to the right or to the left, depending on how they're blocked. The door opens and... Oh, God, there he stands in his purple dressing gown. Well, uh, that's called the setup, you see. That's very important. Uh, because you want to applaud that guy. And if it wasn't there, if he came on the stage first, you wouldn't, you know, you'd feel cheated. You're sitting down, you're scratching, you're trying to take your overshoes off, you know. People are sticking you in the elbow, and, you know, you're sweating. And, you know, you don't just start applauding right away the minute the curtain is up. Like, oh, no, 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 no. Unless Oliver Smith has done the sets. And you're a real hip Broadway act. You applaud the way the lamp is set, you know. 
my God, look at that. And they're applauding the moon, you know, things like that. Well, uh, this is all part of the setup. Now, now it's very important to people. Uh, you know this when you work. I've worked many a floor, you know, nightclubs and one thing or another. And you know that if you don't give the people a chance to applaud, they feel that you haven't said anything funny, and they also feel cheated somehow vaguely inside of them. They really do. It's a, it's a funny thing. You have to put in what they call applaud or laugh or, or, or pad lines. And so you say, and so I said, uh, go to so-and-so. And then there's a pause. They know it's going to That's just the way I said it. Uh, you see, but if you say, and so I said, so and so, then in addition to that, I went out. <laughs> all right, all right, you see, you killed the laugh. See what I mean? See, what I, see how it worked? <laughs> That's very interesting. Uh, this business of setting yourself up psychologically and mentally to be receptive to something which becomes important and big in your mind. Uh, uh, for example, I'll, I'll tell you a little thing here that turning out LPs. Uh, they have found that humor LPs never sell unless there's a lot of laughter around them. The guy can say the funniest stuff in the world, and you will not buy it unless there is already laughter on the LP to tell you that it's funny. Now, now that's an interesting phenomenon, uh, that almost all the LPs that have sold have had insane laughter behind them. You cannot come to somebody and tell him something, because he doesn't think it's official. That's the word, really. He does not think it's important funny business unless he hears a lot of other yucks yucking it up over that. Uh, LP's an interesting thing. Speaking of LPs, by the way, uh, and, and this, this because I have trouble, I cannot answer any, any, any letters. We just don't have that kind of staff, as Long John says. The Long John's staff, by the way, consists of one old telephone. He's your his staff, and he's got a very elderly typewriter. <laughs> and he pays all three of them, including John. That's his staff. Well, while we're on the subject of, of that, uh, I have turned out two LPs, and I'm not going to... I'm tired of uh, people keep writing. They're on the Electra label. This is not a promo. It is just to answer so that I do not have to run out at all through the machine here. Now, you will find one has laughter on it, and the other doesn't. One was recorded in a nightclub. that I, I did a show in a nightclub, uh some time ago, and it was recorded right on the spot on New Year's night, Christmas night. The other was done as a series of essays in a studio, both a certain kind of humor, but oddly enough, the reactions to the records were two different and completely isolated things. Reactions, I mean, among people who heard them. Very interesting phenomenon, the setting, the setting people up. It, uh, it's not as simple as you think, and you think that you are immune to it. Oh, no. Nobody is immune to it. You know, this is one subject that has hardly ever been studied here in America. It's a very unpopular subject, actually, because we are a psychi psychiatric nation. We are so hung on therapy that few of us are interested in what uh, could be called basic research. In short, you find very few people who are interested in psychology. But a lot of people are fascinated by psychiatry. Two different fields. Related, true, but very different. Uh, very, very different. And, and in particular, they are not interested in one specific kind of psychology. And that is psychology of man in the mass. Because we like to feel it does not affect us. 
almost any guy when he's talking about mass psychology is saying it about other people. He likes to pretend it's the other people. It's the other people. No, I'm sorry. Uh, mass psychology is a very fascinating study and one day is going to be recognized as such. That man in, in, in a large group is one thing, when he's alone in his pad is totally a different animal. And uh, you yourself are that, because we're all men, and we can't escape that, we, we are. And I know that when I'm in a crowd, I'm, I'm laughing at something that is, you know, I'm, everybody's laughing, I'm laughing, you know, I'm just having a great time, everybody's laughing, hooping it up. And then later, I, I try to figure out what it was I laughed at, and somebody gives it, you know, it's a show. here it is, here's the joke you laughed at. And I feel like an idiot, you know, a fool, what, what is this, is it funny? That's why I say uh, the theater, in a way, is one of the most dishonest of all writing mediums, uh, in a sense, uh, for actually coming out and saying things. But when you're sitting down reading a novel, you're by yourself. Uh, or if you're reading a play, you're by yourself. And you, you are not subjected to all the rest of the people around there laughing and hollering and whooping it up. And that subtle thing called mass psychology, you can really judge a thing for what it is. And, and when you get out, uh, after you've read a book or a novel, you find out, well, this guy didn't say anything, or this guy did say something. It's very hard to tell in the theater. Very difficult to tell. Because of those various setups that I'm talking to you about. The various things that you go through, the, the different stages that you go through. And the man who can produce the best setups is called the great showman. He's called the great theatrical expert. That's really what theatricality means. It's producing a setup so that you uh, will be literally set up like like pins in a bowling alley. Now, uh, some writers today write totally in theatrics. They have learned that, that the theatric can, in, in a sense today, suffice for content. In short, why even bother with ideas? Just have a lot of theatrics going. And uh, this is, uh, this is, of course, uh, it, it always, you always have a great show then. When, when there's a master of theatrics at work, you always have a great show. Now, whether he has said anything about the world or not is a moot question, and one which most people do not even bother to answer. I, I've noticed so many of the critics today hardly ever bring that subject up. They will talk about great theatrical crap. They'll discuss all that. And they hardly will ever discuss what point the man was making in his play. Uh, if this were carried over to the novel, it would be interesting to, to have a guy be applauded for his great punctuation. He was a, you know, he's a fantastic speller. And uh, boy, one thing about him, he, he really, he really pulls in some great words. Uh, he has a great vocabulary. And uh, his spelling is terrific. And, and you ought to see the way he, he arranges his sentences and, and he piles his, uh, his uh, paragraphs up like pyramids. It's very exciting. And I, in fact, I recommend this book. It's one of the best printed books I've ever seen. It's printed beautifully. has a great binding and it has a fantastic dust jacket. Yes, this one should take the Nobel Prize this year. The best spelling, the best punctuation, and his affirmative clauses are the best I've ever seen. They're just fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, I'm curious how far this goes. Oh, politics. Oh, believe me. Wow. The guy that puts on the best show is going to be the wildest president in the end. Oh, yes. And I, I predict the time, because we are becoming more and more immersed in the world of theatrics. I predict the day will come when we will have totally theatrical, seriously, totally theatrical, political. Uh, for example, I, I wonder why somebody hasn't gotten wise to the fact that most of politics, in fact, most of the world, is a show to people. 
why haven't, say, for example, the Democratic National Committee, why don't they hire Jeannie Rosenthal to light the convention? Why don't they get Elia Kazan to direct and stage the nominations? Why don't they get David Merrick to cast it? I mean, you know, there's a lot of very bad people to get up there and nominate the little fat ladies with flowered hats, you know, and all that stuff. David Merrick would throw those people right out of their girdles. He really would, you know. He'd get tall, thin guys. He'd get Royal Dano to play the, uh, the, the judicial senator, you know. And, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that we will see the day, and, and probably right now, there are production groups going into work and right now laying the plans for future conventions. I'm talking about production groups. I, I don't see why not. Why, why can't you get somebody like, uh, oh, uh, oh, you get, you just think how wonderful it would be if you could get, say, uh, Arthur Kopin, uh, let's say, to produce the blackouts, you know, the dramatic moments when the uh, candidate is coming out from behind the uh, screen and he is about to say he didn't want to get nominated. But unfortunately, they have drafted him, and he will carry it. Remember that, the, the, the scene of, of Adley Stevenson was probably one of the best staged bits of theatrical Holcomb, was when Adley Stevenson, they had to go get Adley Stevenson, you remember, and all that, and the spotlight's picking him up, and everybody is yelling and screaming, you know. Oh, boy, and we swallow it like smallmouth bass. <laughs> oh, man. And it's the same, it's all the same setup. And it's not an anti-Stevenson thing. I was for it. But I'm just saying how the theatrics aid any kind of a thing of this nature. Uh, while, while on the subject of, uh, of the sweeping mass movements that uh, go behind us one way or the other, there was a great little story. And I wish I, yeah, I think I have time to do this. Because you see what happens, it's mass. It's mass psychology. It's how we react in the mass. And uh, how we react in the mass really tells what mankind is like, not what man is like. Now, you know, very few writers today write about mankind. They write about me. What terrible things are happening to me. Uh, what terrible things happen to my friends. Uh, always setting themselves apart, you see, from what, what has become the great catchphrase of our time, society. Society's out there, they're rotten. Me and my friends were here, we're the good guys. And we read all the good things, like we read the Village Voice, that makes us all good guys, you know, <laughs> and uh, we're good guys. Well, I'm not so sure it's that simple. But it, wouldn't it be great to believe that? Think how simple the world would be. Think how easy it would be to, to, to feel that all the ills that happen to you and your friends are as a result of society, not that you allow stuff. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a great world? This same crew, by the way, buys Ayn Rand all the way, generally. Because this is what she preaches. There's a rotten society out there who's always trying to kill good men. Guess who the good men are? The readers. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> and, and uh, of course, the good men are above laws and should set them for other lesser men. This is called F-A-S-C... Uh, there's a long word that they used to call it. This is something to do with it. But it's had about ten different names during its long and illustrious political career. It goes back to Caligula, you know, kids. Uh, he did that little bit, too. I, I hate to bring history into it, because that's always troublesome. 
But uh, these these are the, these are the things which are plaguing our world today. Uh, a, a part of the fact, I, I wonder how many people, when they're reading, say the New York Times or the Post or the News or the Mirror, anybody you care to mention, any paper you care to mention, uh, the papers are always fighting against the bad guys who are doing the terrible things. You know this, no matter what paper it is. The Birmingham News, you just go up and down the line. The bad guys are doing these things, and we are standing against it. Me, the writer of the editorial, and you, the reader, we're the right thinkers. I wonder where the bad guys are, what papers they're reading. I'm curious. <laughs> you know, do they know they're bad guys? Who is out there who is society? Where's society? A rotten society. Where are you out there? I want to belt you in the mouth. All the terrible stuff you're doing. To them, to us, to we. Where are you out there? Boy, if I ever get you... You know, that's one of the great, great, old, great dreams of mankind is to get all the bad people in one place and burn them up. Oh, yes. Or throw them into the ocean. Or put them in jail. Or expunge them. For the good of all, of course. This is, this is what caused the great purges in communist Russia in the 30s. You know, get rid of the bad guys. It has to be done. Get 87 million bad guys down the drain. <laughs> and, 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 of course, the, the hooker in it is who defines bad. Well, the guys that are doing the burning, of course. That's easy enough to see. Anyone knows what's good and bad. I'll bet there isn't one of you out there who, is, who has any doubts about what is good and bad, what is right and what is wrong, right? Put your hands up out there. Any of you that are confused? Not a bit. Not a bit. Therein lies one of the most fascinating, insoluble problems of mankind. And it is insoluble. Is that uh, we have these uh, two and a half billion people in the world, and each one has his own definition. Now, uh, his definition is usually outside of himself. It's not me. <laughs> not me at all. It's them. They. Wouldn't you like to catch up with about 5,000 of the they? Wouldn't it be great to get just, boy, what, can I what you could do with a flamethrower in about 10 minutes for, for future good of everybody? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? All right, George. Of course, this, is a, this requires a certain amount of, uh, of a selective conscience, too. I, I think one of, the, one of the new movements in the world is the slow breakdown of the cause and effect principle. The cause and effect principle, which I think is very important. In short, uh, we have confused cause and effect, and oftentimes today we don't even look at the cause. It's the effect that we're interested in. And so it leads people like Bertrand Russell, for example, to applaud China as a peace-loving nation because it stopped hitting India. That's an interesting way to applaud peace. Do you know he did this? thereby ignoring the fact that China marched on India in the first place, which was the cause of the hitting in the beginning. So if you can always, if you can always do that, life will be very simple for you. Very simple, if you can cut out cause and effect. It's like the people who want to get tough with Russia and want to have all taxes cut out. Well, they are not, they are not unrelated, friend. They are cause and effect. And that's just the way it goes. Uh, cost and effect, of course, this is a child's way of looking at the world. A child out in the world, uh, he breaks a window. 
and he comes into the house and he gets belted for breaking the window. Then he gets mad at his parents. He never relates it to breaking the window. That breaking the window caused the belt. He never says, gee, I did a rotten thing. He doesn't do that at all. He says, look, they're hitting me. They're hitting me. The rotten people are hitting me. Somebody says, well, you broke a window. What's that got to do with it? What do you mean? What's that got to do with it? That's irrelevant. They're hitting me. Well, it's just like this little gathering, the constant gathering of people who are always protesting the dropping of an A-bomb on Hiroshima. Uh, they continually ignore the cause that there would never have been an A-bomb dropped on Hiroshima if there hadn't been a lot of marching for years before that by a lot of Japanese in a lot of areas and a lot of things that were not right. Uh, in short, if you can ignore the cause of a thing, the effect is always reprehensible. Always reprehensible. Wait a minute. If you can ignore the cause, if you can ignore the fact that a guy had just killed 17 people, you can protest the fact he's in jail. If you can forget why he's there. And that's that's one of the great problems we have in our world today, is that slow breakdown. And you find this, you find this among people who are otherwise uh, uh, truly... One of the great examples of, of, a, of an essay on this, I don't often recommend things to you, but... Uh, in the current issue of a magazine called New Republic, there is a beautiful essay on Bertrand Russell, The Bewitchment of Bertrand Russell, which is about that kind of thinking that no matter, uh, no matter what... Uh, in other words, uh, Khrushchev is applauded for taking his weapons out of Cuba, but he is never reprimanded for bringing them in. So, you know, it's, it's a business of... It's the business of cause and effect again, and I'm not taking any political stand here. I am merely saying that cause is almost invariably the cause of effect, and effect comes as a result of cause. Nothing, nothing exists as a as a total vacuum. And so uh, a guy is is arrested because he's got drugs on his person, and he could say, well, you know, what are they arresting me for? Drugs, breaking the law. So well, what's that got to do with it? I go, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a wonderful person. Well, uh, cause and effect. And, and once that begins to break down, you have what they call a breakdown of, of legal order. And that, in the end, results, of course, the classical example is Germany. Germany finally broke it down to the point where Germany was totally and really hurt and dumbfounded that the world was angry at them for what they were doing. They could not see why. Because they did not relate cause and effect that what they were doing to the Jews was isolated in their minds from the fact that the rest of the world was angry at them. Could not relate one with the other. It's the old cause and effect problem. And once you break that connection down, you open up a Pandora box, dead, that goes on and on and on and on. Magazines today are making total uh, philosophies of that, of that kind of thing, breaking down the cause and effect relationship. Makes for an interesting life. I say that within the next 10 years, George Orwell's 1984 is going to seem like greasy kid stuff and is going to read like hickory dickory dock, like last year's childish nursery rhymes. This is WOR Radio, your station for news.
You'll meet some of the best beloved personalities in show business and many bright new faces as well. Enjoy an hour with Joe Franklin, his old-time movies, nostalgic music, and famous guests on Memory Lane. That's weekday afternoons, 12.30 on WOR-TV Channel 9. This is WOR Radio, WOR-AM, and WOR-FM in New York. Stay tuned now for Long John Nebel. Lots of interesting guests coming your way at exactly midnight.